This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, today we are right in the middle of a series called Legacy. And really we're asking the question if life has to be built and lived and there's the potential to leave something behind. What, what can we build in our lives now that won't crumble, that will last, that will leave the kind of lasting legacy, the lasting impression that God through his grace and mercy would want to leave through our lives? That's the question that we've been posturing in this, in this series. And last week as we began, really the first week in this series, we, we basically established that if we're going to build a life, it has to be built on the right foundation. Many of you have built houses before, maybe your family has, and you, you know that if you get the foundation wrong, the rest of the house is bad, right? So we have to build on the right foundation. And God said in his word, as Jesus taught us, that, that there is a, a rock that we can build on that is a good foundation. And then there is sand that is a bad foundation because it shifts. It doesn't stay the same. And that foundation that is the rock is Jesus. And so we're going to continue looking at what, what it takes to follow the plan that God would give us to build the kind of life that would last, that would leave a legacy. Just to kind of give you a, a road map as to where we're going to be for the next um, few weeks. Today, uh, we're continuing the series. We have two weeks after this that will be in legacy. And then the weekend of, of, of Thanksgiving, we do a, a, very, a very special um, series. And, or very, it's just one day, actually. We, we answer questions. And so for the next three weeks, there will be little blue slips of paper in your worship guide. And if there's a question that you've always been pondering, you know, um, it can be something simple. It can be, you know, trivia-ish. Um, but we take those questions and we compile them and then we write a whole message based on the questions that you've asked. And so um, we'll be doing that the weekend of Thanksgiving. The last week of this series, which is two weeks from today, I really want to encourage you to be here. I'm going to do something that I have yet to do uh, in our church, and that's I'm going to share long-term vision and, and talk about the kind of legacy that I think God can leave through our church. Okay, and, and it's very, very um, important for those of you that you call this church home uh, to be here for that Sunday because we're, we're going to talk about some pretty, pretty serious stuff that I think God has called us to do. And I'm going to share that um, as we go through talking about legacy. And then I don't know if y'all realize this, but once we knock those four weeks out, it's Christmas. Y'all been, we're that close. Some of y'all are so excited you're already playing Christmas music. My wife watched Christmas movies all day yesterday. Y'all believe that? And then even Thanksgiving yet. I feel like Thanksgiving's like the redheaded stepchild of holidays anymore. Like it gets past Halloween and it's Christmas all of a sudden. But then we're in Christmas and we're going to do, our, 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 the series that we're doing this year I think is, is phenomenal. It's called Good News. And the reason it's called Good News is because every time the birth of Jesus is announced in Scripture, they say it's good news. The angels say to the shepherd, hey, I, I, we have good news for you. And you know what? The birth of Jesus is still good news. And for three weeks, we're going to look at what 
the good news is for us today in the birth of Jesus. And it's going to culminate in an event that we did last year at Dennis Vineyards uh, called Vintage Christmas. It's going to be on December 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve, actually, is when, when it's going to happen. And so we're, we're going to give you details about that in the next few weeks, but just so you can kind of go ahead and mark that down and be looking forward. So if we're going to build the kind of life that we need to do to, to leave a lasting legacy, one of the things I think we realized last week is that we're going to need a plan. Right? Life either happens by design or by default. And either we're going to look at the heart of God and realize that God has a plan for life, and, or we're just going to simply keep going moment by moment through life, doing whatever it takes to survive that moment. See, we want to live by God's plan. And if we're going to live by plan, we're going to build by plan. That means we're going to put down a solid foundation. But then we have to build on top of the foundation as well. If you've ever built a home, you realize that priorities impact the structure. The same way for our lives priorities will impact the structure of our life. If you're the family that has the wife that loves to cook and she's baking and cooking and when you go to build a house, you will not build a small kitchen. You'll build a big kitchen with lots of cabinet space and maybe several ovens because there's a priority that's present. If you're the, the family that likes to spend time together and you, you really don't, don't like to have your kids shut off in their own room, when you, when you build a house, there's going to be a lot of open spaces and small bedrooms. And if you're the family that values personal time, right, probably going to be lots of walls in your house because priorities dictate how things are built. See, I, I, I really don't find that to be more true than in, in any other area than the way that we plan out of priorities for vacations. You ever, you ever planned a vacation before? Now, some of y'all like to wait until like 30 minutes before we leave, right, to start packing. Who's that person? Who's that person? Who's the person that starts packing a week ahead of time, Right? Like, my suitcase is packed. It's like three days until we leave. It's already packed. I'm ready to go, right? If you're, those two people are married, it's really fun to go on a vacation, right? It's life, right? I mean, priorities dictate what you pack. And some of you, you know, if I look in your suitcase, there's going to be lots of hair dryers and curling iron and makeup and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be half of the suitcase. But for some of you, it's a small suitcase and very few articles of clothing, just enough to make it because priorities dictate the way that we build and structure our packing. I think for many of us, our lives look a lot like this woman right here. How many of y'all feel like that? How many of y'all feel like that? Some of y'all. Maybe you feel like this woman. Look at this next woman. That's you, right? That's our lives right there. That's our lives. I mean, that we, we've made everything a priority and we're trying to bring along everything in life. It's impossible, the weight that we're living under. Look at this family. Heard a story about this family, right? Look how many bags that is. I heard a, a story about a family that was waiting in line. They were getting ready to board the plane. And uh, 
back before you could check in with your um, just a, an ID or a credit card. You needed the, the tickets. And they had 16 bags. They were going on a week's vacation. 16 bags to go for a week. And they were about halfway through the line getting ready to get their boarding passes. And the, the husband made the comment to the wife, man, I wish we would have packed the piano. And the wife said, well, why, why should we have packed the piano? We got everything. We got 16 bags of stuff. And he said, because that's where the tickets are. I mean, when you get your priorities out of whack, you start carrying things through life that you shouldn't, and you start forgetting things that you need. Our lives end up looking a lot like this guy right here. <laughs> ah, poor donkey. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, just overloaded and upside down. Why do we get our lives out of order? I'm going to give you three things that we do that we do internally, that we do inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, that create a life that's out of order. The first thing is that most of us are living reactive instead of proactive lives. We're living reactive instead of proactive lives. We're not living life with a plan. It's just whatever, whatever happens. We'll react to it. And it doesn't mean that you won't react in, in, a, in an inappropriate way, but, but your life does not have direction. I really don't think we see this any more than in our financial lives. Very few of our families are living on a budget. And some of you, financially, you have to be living on a budget if you're going to live on 100% of what you're making right now. And that's why your family's not living on 100%. You're living on 115, 120%. You're putting stuff on a credit card that you should never put on a credit card because you don't have a plan. You're living reactively through life instead of proactively. I told you a few weeks ago, I think that, that God's directive to tithe is one of the most life-giving things God has ever done with us. Forget the fact that God is going to bless the 90%, but for us to give 10%, we have to know what 100% is. We have, to, we have to know how much we have up front. And it's practical. It's proactive. It's dealing with the problem before it ever happens. And that's the kind of life that God wants us to live. But most of us are living reactionary lives. The second thing, and I had several people walking out this morning that said, hey, so I just appreciate you mentioning this. This is that we're navigating life by what we feel instead of what we know. We're navigating life by what we feel instead of what we know. Dr. David Horton, who was my advisor in college, a PhD in music theory, he led me all over the country to help lead worship at youth conventions and churches. He was a brilliant man. He could hear a song, read a score just on sheet of music and hear it in his head. I mean, he, was, he was a brilliant musician. It's one moment when I was in college and I was struggling emotionally. He gave me this bit of advice, which has stuck with me for the rest of my life. Kevin, I want you to remember, there's going to be times in life your feeler can get all jacked up. <laughs> and when that happens, you have to live by what you know. Do you realize that God has invited us not just to feel him, but to know him? 
and he knows us. Let's look at a few verses. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, listen to the words, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans that I have for you. And then the, the words of the Apostle Paul echo the opposite sentiment, our side of that equation in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I can know Jesus and I can resolve in my heart to know him and to live by that knowledge. He even takes it further in Philippians 3 where he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. And if we're going to live the right kind of life, we're going to have to learn to navigate life not by what we feel, but by what we know. Because there are times that your feelings are going to invert on you. But can I tell you something? Your feelings will follow what you know. If you'll do the right thing, if you'll follow what God is leading you to do, eventually your feelings will get in line. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Not where our heart is, our treasure will be, right? Our heart will follow the decision that we make. So we need to live not by what we feel, but by what we know. And number three, the third way that our lives can get out of order is that our progress in life is measured by comparison to others. Progress in life is comparison measured by comparison to others. The great Teddy Roosevelt, the, the rough rider who led uh, troops into battle in some of the most significant battles in, human, in uh, U.S. history, that later became president, said that comparison is the thief of joy. That's wise. Because many of us See, years ago, the only way that we could compare our lives to someone is going over to visit them and actually see in their house, and then we'd leave their house, and we'd go, God, man, they got a nice house. Now, I wish we had that leather furniture like they have, or, you know, or, man, that, they just drove up and visited us, and they have a nice car. But see, now, all many of you have to do is pull out your phone and streaming all through uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are updates of people who are in different situations to you. And if you live your life comparing yourself to them, it's going to rob you of the joy that God wants to give you in this circumstance. In Philippians 4.11, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. Contentment is the the antithesis is the answer to comparison. To be content with what we have. To choose not to compare the beginning to our story to the middle of someone else's. To not to compare where I am to where someone who's worked 10 to 20 years to be in a different place is. 
because it robs you of the joy that God wants to give you. See, when our priorities get upside down and we start living life by the wrong priority, you know what happens as a result? Our, our lives become broken. And the legacy that we leave, we leave out of that life is broken because our lives are our legacies. It's what we're building in our life right now that is going to become the legacy that our life leaves behind. And our lives right now are practically being shaped by our priorities. Let's take a look at the definition of a legacy that we started working with last week. It's this change created and sustained after our responsibility has been fulfilled. That there is change that happens, that there is a new set of priorities that is embraced, that there is a a lasting impression after our responsibility, after our calling has been fulfilled. And if we're going to leave the legacy God wants us to leave, we're going to have to Embrace the kind of priorities that God wants to give us. Today, I'm going to simply take the next few minutes and look at the greatest legacy ever left on earth. And that's Jesus. To think that thousands of years later, in a movie theater, we would be sitting around talking about a homeless man who was executed on a Roman cross is astounding. And you know, many of us, without having a great deal of understanding, would say, but yeah, I mean, think about it. This is the first century. It was the time that the world was kind of prepared for a a grand idea to spread. You know, before the first century, different countries spoke different languages. So if you went to Italy, they spoke Italian. If you went to the Germanic provinces, they spoke German or derivatives thereof. But Alexander the Great took over most of the Western world and taught everyone to speak Greek. And so in the first century... If there was an idea that needed to be spread, you could speak Greek in Israel or in North Africa or in Europe, and everyone would know what you were saying. And it's quite easy to just think that, well, it was the right time for something like that to spread. But it's important to realize that there were other people that people thought might be the Messiah around the time of Jesus. Matter of fact, about 100 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a man named Judas Maccabeus. And at that point in time, Judas helped overthrow a portion of tyrannical reign over the Israelites. Right? I mean, he, he led a political revolution. And many of those that were, that were in Israel at that time thought Judas has to be the Messiah. Born around the same time as Jesus was a Shepherd, actually a former slave named Simon of Perea. Simon, you remember King Herod from the birth of Jesus, right? That tried to kill all. Simon was a slave to King Herod. And he gained his freedom. 
And then he led a small band of Israelites throughout what we would call the Middle East, and they attacked Roman outposts and slaughtered Roman soldiers. Uh, A lot like the Braveheart movie. And men and women around Israel thought this guy Simon might be the Messiah. Fast forward only about 10 more years, and a man named Athrongus. Athrongus was a, a shepherd. And he would be a teacher who would get a, a following, and, and those following would, they would also kind of declare a war against the empire of Rome because up until that point, everyone thought that the Messiah was going to come to build an empire. But here is Jesus, the son of a carpenter, a homeless man, and literally thousands of years later, that's who we're talking about. That's a legacy. And if we're going to really examine the legacy that Jesus has given us, we have to understand the priorities that he used to build his life. And he shared those with us. Isn't that great? (laughs) That Jesus took the time to share what his priorities were. We find it in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked a question by a group of Pharisees. The Pharisees got together. Now understand, the Pharisees are basically like the pastors. They're like the local pastor board. The people who knew a lot of theology, right? One of them, an expert in the law. So there was one of them who was kind of the guy who had spent his whole life studying the Bible, tested him with this question. Isn't that interesting? That this guy who had spent time studying the Bible was about to ask the man who wrote the Bible a question about it. And he thinks he's about to test him. One of them tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And all you hear is crickets after that. Because Jesus just obliterated the test. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, it's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, In a complicated world, Jesus just made priorities remarkably uncomplicated. The first thing that we see in Jesus is Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people. He cared about people. Think about this, that the God who created the world, a creative God that does something, cared about, about people. See, God loved all different kinds of people, people that we find hard to love. Jesus loved people who were hurting. It's in your notes. 
Jesus loved hurting people. He didn't like to hurt them like, you know, like he's going to do a beatdown. He loved people who were hurting. There's this one moment with Jesus when someone has come to get him. There's a, a little girl that's dying, and he's on the way to go see her. But in the middle of the journey, there's a woman who's been very sick for a very long time who presses through a crowd and actually touches Jesus. And through that moment, because of her faith in Jesus, she's healed. The miracle has already happened. But Jesus stops the whole parade to find her. Because Jesus loved people who were hurting. And he valued them. In a moment where he could have just walked by, he could have skirted that. We find him time after time finding people who were wounded, who were broken, and investing himself into them. Jesus loved people that were hurting. Jesus loved defenseless people. I mean, the language throughout the Bible is very clear that the kingdom of God is charged to take care of, it says, widows and orphans. And throughout biblical texts, that context would describe people who are defenseless. You see, in Jesus' day, children weren't thought of the way that we think of them today, like little prized jewels that we carry around and, and love. Right? Children were liabilities until they were old enough to contribute to the family when, when at that point they would become an asset. So children were, were kind of like, get out of, get out of my way, leave me alone. And that's why when all of a sudden Jesus has a bunch of kids coming to see him, his disciples start shooing the kids away. No, 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 no y'all, y'all, he's very important. Leave him alone, Right? Jesus stops his disciples and says, no, no, let them, let them come. Let the kids come. Because the kingdom of God is a lot like this. You're all defenseless. And if you're going to experience the protection of God, you have to come and embrace the kingdom of God like a little child. Jesus loved defenseless Three, Jesus loved selfish people. I'm glad Jesus loved selfish people. It gives me hope. (laughs) There's a story of Jesus encountering a man that we've come to call the rich young ruler. It was a, a man who was very wealthy, but he had heard about the teachings of Jesus and noticed that there was something present in the life of Jesus that wasn't present in his life. And he goes and asks him, teacher, what must I do to inherit this kind of life? What must I do to have this kind of life? And Jesus quotes a few of the laws, you know, obey these things. And he says, but teacher, I've done this. Obviously, Jesus is setting him up. You've been religiously responsible. You've been the kind of guy that would, in our day, be the guy that goes to church, that, that studies your Bible, that you are, maybe pay your tithes. But you're not experiencing the life because the reason that you've done those 
It's been for the wrong reason. And in the middle of that interchange, the Bible records that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Right before he asked him a question. He said, if you really want to experience this life, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Right before that, right before that moment, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he knew what he was about to do because he hung his head and walked away because he was possessed by his possessions. What he had was more important than embracing the life of Jesus, and he was not going to sell everything he had. But Jesus loved him anyway. You see, number four, the thing that we see about Jesus throughout the whole Bible is that Jesus loved people the way they needed to be loved. Not the way they wanted to be loved. There's times that Jesus pulled out the whip and cleaned house. There's times that he called names and, and, and actually, I mean, was very confrontational. I mean, he said some of the most mean things we would say are really, really mean to some of his closest friends. Because he loved people the way they needed to be loved. And too many of us love people the way that makes us feel better. Not the way they need to be loved. I've said this before. I think having a difficult conversation with somebody that you love is the most loving thing many of us can do because we know it's not going to go well. We know that they're going to get mad at us. We know that it's all going to blow up, but it's loving because at times people need people that love them to share truth. Jesus loved people the way they needed to be loved. Number five, Jesus valued people over possessions. It was a great debate, you know, historically and theologically whether Jesus was indeed homeless. But what we do see in the context of Scripture is that Jesus had very little possession. We don't see him building wealth. We don't see him building his own kingdom. But we do find him time and time again giving what he has. I didn't share this in the, in the first service, but I'm, there's this moment in the beginning of Acts where the believers were just broke poor. And uh, Peter encounters a crippled man at a gate into the temple. And he, he says these words to him. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. You know, Jesus valued people over possessions, and he could give them what he had. 
Just like Peter who said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I will give it to you. Jesus valued people. As a matter of fact, he would go so far as to say that real life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Jesus loved people, but Jesus loved the Father. And real quickly, I'm going to walk you through and let you see four different elements of his love for the Father. The first one is that Jesus chose the Father's will over his. Jesus chose the Father's will over his will. And if we're going to live the kind of lives that are built on the right priorities, there are going to be times that we're going to disagree with God about what he wants us to do. That's why God never promised that he would lead us by us all agreeing on what we're supposed to do. He asked us to submit to him. That implies that at times we're going to think he's wrong. And Jesus, in this moment, right before his crucifixion, where he is anxious and broken and praying, asked God to change his mind. God, I know that this is the plan. I know this is why I was born. I'm going to die. But could you please take this from me? Please. (laughs) And then he says this. Fine. Not my will, but yours. He gave up his will to follow the Father. Number two, Jesus refused to build his own kingdom so the Father's kingdom could begin. He in, in the beginning of Luke, when he is tempted by, by Satan, the real temptation is that Jesus would build a kingdom on earth that would honor him, where he would be the prince of the world. But he would end up dying like a common thief because he refused to build his own kingdom. As a matter of fact, the entire time that he was on earth, he taught about a kingdom that was not of this world. And so when Pilate asks him, are you a king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, he was focused on building the will of the Father. Number three, Jesus gave all the glory to the Father. Time and time again, as you see Jesus performing miracles, you would actually find him saying, let all the glory go to the Father. When he is preparing in the Gospel of John to heal Lazarus and to raise him from the dead, he says, all this stuff happened so that God's glory may be increased. Not mine. Not my name. Not that I would become a more popular prophet. Not that I would get more. No. What's about to happen, happened. He died. He's going to raise up. And it's also God's glory could increase. That's what our lives need to be about. God's glory increasing. Because number four, this is the key that we find here. Jesus found his ultimate value and direction from the Father. He found his ultimate value and direction from the Father. 
he would say, the only thing I do is what I see the Father doing, what he's asked me to do. What other people said about him didn't faze him. It didn't make him feel a little less confident about himself because he found his ultimate value and direction in the Father. You see, there's something about the priorities that Jesus showed us that are important. It's this. Jesus valued things that were eternal over things that are temporary. And I just want to clear this up for you. There are only three things in this world that are eternal. There are only three things. God, His Word, and people. And Jesus spent 33, 34, depends on who you ask, years living with a value system that said the things that are eternal matter more than the things that are temporary. People matter. The Father matters. And if we're going to build a life that's going to leave a legacy behind, that's going to make a difference in the lives of our kids and in the lives of our community, we need to build, be the kind of people that build a life that value the things that are eternal. Let's pray. God, we just thank you today. You've invited us into a life that values the things that are eternal over the things that are temporary. God, and for many of us today, we might be here today realizing that our lives have been overly invested in things that are remarkably temporary. That we have given part of our lives to experiencing you, to, but we haven't devoted our hearts to loving you. And God, would you today, for those of us that came in with our lives upside down, carrying too much baggage, too much weight, could you simplify the journey a little bit today by reminding us of what is really important? So with every head bowed, every eye closed, to ask you a question today. You don't need to be honest for me or for the person that's next to you, but you need to be honest with yourself before Jesus. Right now, if we were to step back from your life and look at your life, is your life right now being lived in such a way that you value the things that are eternal over the things that are temporary? Do you love God? and love people. Maybe today for the first time ever you realize that your life has been upside down because you've put the wrong things as valuable. And today you'd like to make that decision to say, God, I just want to simplify the bags that I'm carrying through life. I want to let you and your people become a priority. 
If that's you today and you say, hey, I'm tired of living this way. I want to love God with all of my heart and I've never done that. I want to experience God's love. I want to know him. Raise your hand right now if that's you. If that's you. Anybody else? Hands, hands everywhere. Anybody else? So God, for those of us that are here, that need to have our priority systems destroyed so that we can start building the life on the foundation that you want to build in us. God, that today by your grace and mercy we could do that. It's a great gift. So thank you for that gift. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.